Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You see, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, uh, just, just as it did in the previous chapter with marriage, where it addressed husbands and wives, uh, here it addresses first children, and then fathers specifically, and uh, talks about those relationships. Understand that, like with marriage, you know, we went back to the book of Genesis. In fact, put a mark here and go back to Genesis with me right now. There is a, there is a created order when God initiated the creation, when he created the earth and put man on the earth. There was a, there was a created order that God instituted for marriage and family. Uh, in fact, at that first marriage of Adam and Eve, um, when Eve is presented to Adam and Adam accepts her as his wife and she's found to be that fitting help meet, that, that uh, help that was meet for him. And the, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, you have what really are the first wedding vows. And Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And verse 24 says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, you see the the marriage there and that man and, and woman becoming one flesh. But you also see that Adam, right from the beginning, has this understanding that this marriage is going to produce children and they're going to come to adulthood and they're going to, that, that son is going to leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And that's really the, the, the goal of parenthood is to train children to be godly adults. Uh, that's, that's the role of parents. And you see, the idea there is that that uh, they will have children that they will bring to adulthood who will then go out and give birth to the next generation and on and on. Here, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul talks to the children. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, he, at least in verse 1, he gives no other reason for children to obey their parents than that it is right. It is right for children to obey their parents. God has placed an order there in the family where parents are in authority over their children, and that means it is right for children to obey their parents. It's, you know, you, you look at so many things that uh, are are 
taught about children and the rights of children and that kind of thing. Uh, the United Nations has their declaration on the, the rights of the child or something, something like that. I forget the exact title, uh, that kind of thing. And, and, you go and you go and look that up and read that, and it's not a declaration of the rights of the child. It's a declaration of the non-rights of parents. That, that's what it is. Um, it's true children have rights. Children as human individuals created in the image of God, uh, they have rights. But, you see, it is right for children to obey their parents. And so, be, before Paul gives any other reasons, that's what he said, it's right. It's the right thing to do. And then he quotes from the Ten Commandments. Right? Verse 2 says, honor thy father and mother. And that's, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in fact, he says it is the first commandment with promise. Now, if you want to know what that means, we've got to go back and look at what he's quoting. And we want to go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Um, the, without, without reading all of the commandments there, if you come down to verse 12... It says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, if you just run your eye down from verse 1 down to verse 12, you'll see various commandments there. Um, in verse 3, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The, the Sabbath day there was a, a covenant day given to the nation of Israel as a, a part of their covenant with God. Uh, and then the verse we already read, verse 12, says, Honor thy father and thy mother. But there's something different about that commandment. Now, I know we didn't read all of the details of all of those commandments, but you'll find that the commandment to honor father and mother is the first commandment in that list that gives any kind of a promise to those who keep it. Right? The other ones have some, some uh, curses on those who don't keep it. Uh, for instance, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. There's a curse for somebody who breaks that commandment. But the commandment to honor father and mother is the first commandment that contains a promise. See, there's a, there's a, there's a reward, there's a promise associated with keeping that specific commandment to honor father and mother. Now, if you, if you compare the, the verse here in Exodus 20 with our text back in Ephesians 6, you may notice that in quoting the verse, the Apostle Paul uh, doesn't completely quote the verse. And understand, he's not misquoting the verse. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing in Ephesians by inspiration of God. Uh, if anything, you could say it's the Holy Spirit that chose not to quote all of the verse. Uh, if you compare Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verses 2 and 3, with Exodus 20, verse 12, you may notice that where Exodus 20 
states the promise as being that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In Ephesians, though, when Paul quotes it, he just quotes it as that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, when you notice something like that, that that's something to pay attention to. Um, and again, it's not, it's not just that he's misquoting. The, the Apostle Paul would have had these things memorized. Uh, he would have known them by heart, and not only that, he's writing by direct inspiration. So it's the Holy Spirit that is inspiring the words that the Apostle Paul uses here. But why does he leave off the part about the land which the Lord God is going to give you? You see, in Exodus 20, the the commandments there are given to the nation of Israel. And God had promised the nation of Israel a land, going all the way back to to Abraham. Um, And then it was confirmed to Isaac and Jacob. And, of course, you know that that, uh, Jacob's family wound up down in Egypt, and they were there in bondage. And Exodus 20 is written at a time when they're going back to that land that God had promised to Abraham many years before. And God tells them that keeping that commandment, the promise to Israel, was that their days would be long upon the land which the Lord, their God, was giving to them. Okay? But the Apostle Paul, he's not writing to Old Testament Israel. Has God promised you and I a land? Is there some some promised land for Christians that God's leading us to, that he's going to give to us? No, doesn't, doesn't the scripture say that our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior? You say, we're, we're, not, we're not looking to possess some land. The, the United States is not the Christian promised land. There have been people in history that believe that, but that's not, a, that's not a biblical thing. And Paul here writing to Gentiles, there's no promise to Gentiles about some land that God's going to give them. And so Paul just makes it a more general statement, and he says that thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, you see that that subtle change? It's because there's a dispensational difference between when Exodus 20 is written and who it's written to, and when Ephesians 6 is written and who it's written to. Okay, and so, so the issue is not a promised land that the Lord God is going to give you. Paul just states it in the general, which which would apply to all people, which is that your days may be long upon the earth. Now, why, why is that promise there? And, you know, how does that promise work? Uh, certainly, you know, we can think of people who may have been very obedient to parents and yet their days weren't long upon the earth, that, that uh, you know, they, they were involved in some accident or, or something happened and their days weren't long upon the earth. But understand this is a general principle that's being given here. Again, realize we live in a sin-cursed creation. There's accidents that happen. There's, there's things that happen. But by and large, the general principle is that if somebody learns the principles of authority and godly authority in the home and a child learns to be obedient to parents, they're going to be much more successful in life than somebody who doesn't. Okay, that's the general principle, and that's why the, that's why the promise is there. Uh, which really makes the breakdown of the family in our day a scary thing. Because it's not going to be just a breakdown of the family. 
It's going to be a breakdown of all kinds of social institutions as you have this generation that's growing up now that in many cases does not really know what a family is, certainly not what a biblical family is. And they haven't learned those basic principles of authority in the home, and they go out into society and they disrespect the authority in the home, so they go out into society and they disrespect all the authorities in society. They disrespect the, the authority of employers. They disrespect the authority of, of civil government and those various things. And that's something that all begins in the home. You say, so, so that child that's raised in a home where they're taught these principles and where, where uh, those children learn to obey their parents because it's right, there's a promise to them that as they honor father and mother, as they honor father and mother, that it'll be well with them and they may live long on the earth. Now, this honoring father and mother goes far beyond just a little child that's still in their, their parents' home. Uh, honoring father and mother is a, a lifelong thing. And it would have to do with not, you know, certainly as a little child being obedient to father and mother, but it has to do with taking care of them in their old age, those kinds of things. Now, there's another function that the government has taken away from the family, right? And it, and it weakens the family and it strengthens the government. See, it's a role of, of uh, children to take care of their parents. In fact, Paul even extends that to, uh, for instance, nephews taking care of a widowed aunt and, and that kind of thing. He even extends it out to the extended family, not just, not just parents and children, but because some families didn't, didn't follow those principles, the government saw a need to come in, and now everybody's dependent not on the family, but on the government. You see, see how that works? And the family is weakened. And we wonder why the family is in, in such a, a sorry state. Um, there, there was a time where you, you were dependent on your family. You needed your family. And while that's not the, the best reason to love your family, when there's a need there and a dependence there, it creates a, a strong motivation for that family to be strong and loving toward one another to fulfill that need. You remove the need and, and you know, place it on some other authority, and it's no wonder families are falling apart because people don't, people don't need their families anymore. In fact, in some cases, there are actually penalties, uh, financial and otherwise, for having a traditional family. You know, the, the marriage tax penalty and, and some of those kinds of things. But uh, you see there, Paul, back at our text in Ephesians 6, so he tells the children, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse 4 now is addressed to fathers. Now, it's not addressed to parents in general. It's addressed specifically to fathers because remember that God has given that highest role of authority, that highest position of authority in the family to the fathers. Okay, just as, just as he gave it to the husband in the marriage relationship, it's to the father. Now, that's not to say that the father is the only one that trains the children or disciplines the children, but the father has responsibility for it. Even if that's largely a, a, a function of the wife, which it may be in some households, the father is responsible for it. 
Um, you know, we saw that, that responsibility last time when we looked at some of those things about vows and, and that kind of thing, how it always comes back to the highest authority. When you're in a position of authority, it doesn't matter whether it's in the family, it doesn't matter whether it's in the workplace, whether, you know, wherever it is, if you're in the position of authority, you're responsible for the people under you. And so here he lays the responsibility on the, on the uh, um, fathers. It says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Now, most people, the first time you read that verse, and it says, provoke not your children to wrath, you probably think back to when you were a child, maybe. Um, for some of you, maybe that's too long ago to remember. I don't know. But you, you think back and you think about maybe some of the things that, that uh, your father did that might have provoked you. And often what people think of is they think of, um, you know, being too harsh with punishment and, and that kind of thing. And it's true that that is one way to provoke children to wrath is to treat them in, a, in an abusive way, treat them in a, you know, you could, you could say a disrespectful way, okay? Uh, but that's not the only way to provoke children to wrath. In fact, the other extreme can provoke children to wrath as well, uh, not, you know, not disciplining properly and refusing to, to discipline in the proper way. Uh, go, go to uh, Proverbs chapter 13. And I can remember that this verse is in Proverbs 13 because the number 13 in the Bible is a number of rebellion. And the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And so in Proverbs 13, what you might expect to find is uh, some things about, you know, wisdom about how to deal with rebellion. Right. Um, if you come down to verse 24, you've all heard the phrase, spare the rod and spoil the child. That almost sounds biblical. But, you know, actually, the Bible is much harsher in its wording than that. Notice what it says in Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Somebody who refuses to discipline properly, according to God's word, it says he hates his son. Why? Because when you hate somebody, you're not going to do the things that are for their good. You're going to do the things that are for their, for their evil, for their detriment. Right? And for a, for a parent, for a father, to not discipline his child when it's appropriate, it says he hates his son. He that spare, it doesn't just say he spoils the child. It says he hates his son. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now, the, the word betimes there means immediately. And to chasten would be to, to punish, to discipline. Okay? And you see there, it says that a characteristic of a, of a loving father is that he punishes his children immediately when it's appropriate. You know, there's a lot of good, good uh, instruction we can get from the, the justice that's laid out in God's Word. You know, when you go back into the law and you look at the system of justice that God established there, you realize that, that you know, when you're talking about justice and when you're talking about um, disciplining children, you're not, you're not talking about grace. Certainly there is, there is a degree of grace there, and, and certainly in any kind of authority, 
there ought to be there ought to be justice tempered with mercy. You understand that, okay? But but realize that the justice system that God established, there was often very harsh justice, but it was very swift justice. And and once justice was served, uh, you know, under the Old Testament law, there were certain things where the punishment might be a, a physical beating, corporal punishment, okay? And you would receive that beating, but once that was accomplished, it... You know, the, the, the penalty was paid and, and you were restored to society. You know that under God's justice system, there were no prisons where people had to serve these sentences of, of years and years. Um, it, was, it was sudden and swift justice. And, you know, that's a, that's a good principle for dealing with children. You know, a lot of times parents think that they are being kind to their children by not spanking them or not, you know, not physically disciplining them. But often what they do is they wind up dragging out a punishment that in, in many ways it causes the child not to be able to deal with their own guilt. You see, when a child does something wrong and they know they've done something wrong, that, that physical punishment that they receive helps them to get rid of that guilt. Now, you know, if a parent's going to take and, and, you know, punish them for that thing, but then hold it against them for, for a long period of time, that's not following the model of biblical justice, and that's not chastening them betimes. What it's saying is, it's saying, deal with the problem immediately, use the discipline that's appropriate in a loving way, and then the child can be, can be restored. Then they don't have to go about dealing with their guilt. And, and I'll tell you that there are many kids today that when you look at, at, you know, many of these different disorders and things that people suffer from, a lot of it I think you can trace back to that kind of unresolved guilt. Um, realize when it says that the man who spares the rod hateth his son, it's not just because that son might grow up to, to do evil things and get in trouble and, and that kind of thing, but it's because... If he's not punished for that guilt, he's going to bear that guilt. And what a hateful thing to do to a child, to not allow them to deal with that guilt when they know they've done something wrong. And that's what it does when a, when a father refuses to um, discipline in that way. And so provoking your children to wrath, both of those extremes can provoke children to wrath. If you're going to be abusive of your children, if you're going to be, uh, you know, just... just uh, as some fathers are, just self-serving, and anytime they do anything to cross you, uh, they get, get beaten or whatever, that can provoke them to wrath. But also, the other extreme of refusing to discipline when it's needed provokes children to wrath. And so it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but instead, it says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Remember how when we looked at marriage, the the role of the husband was to be like what the Lord is to the church, and the role of the wife was to be like what the church is to the to the Lord. Likewise, here when it says to the fathers to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's saying to the father, you treat your children the way the Lord treats his children. And the scripture says that, that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that God goes about, you know, making bad things happen to you. The main way that God chastens you and I today is through his word. 
Alright, understand that. But the Lord does chasten us. And if he didn't, what, you know, what a sorry state would we be in. Um, and here it says that, that fathers are to bring up their children in that nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not just, it doesn't just say in nurture and admonition. But it's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the way that a father does that is by pointing his children time and time again to the Word of God. If the Word of God does not have a prominent place in your household, you're not fulfilling that verse to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You may, you may love your children with a human love. You may, you may cherish them and nurture them and, and admonish them. But it's from the Word of God that they're going to get the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see? And um, it's, you know, it's not enough just to bring kids up to be obedient and to be moral if they don't have the, the proper respect for God's word. Because that's where they're going to find their foundation in life. And that's where they're going to, to be able to take those principles and teach them to their children. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a cycle often that you can identify within Christian families. And very often you'll have a, a couple that wasn't raised in a Christian family. They come to the Lord and they're very zealous about the things of the Lord. And they teach those things to their children. But that next generation, while they hold on to some of that morality and things and they pass some of that on to their children, they remove the foundation for it. They remove the, the foundation of God's Word. And when you get to the third generation, they then question the the morality, because there's no, it's just an empty shell. There's no, there's no basis to it. And, and this is something you can identify. You know, it's, it doesn't happen in every family, in every case, but they refer to it as the third generation syndrome. And, uh, and you can identify it in, in many families because they forsook the, the foundation. In fact, go back to, in closing, go to Psalms 127. Psalm 127. It says in verse 1, Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And, and it's talking about the household there. Um, if, if the Lord isn't the one building your household, if you're just building it on your own thinking, thinking and reasoning and Dr. Spock and, and even James Dobson, um, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate." You know, that picture there, when it says that, that as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. I mean, there's a, there's a whole message right there. But understand, the picture is of somebody drawing that bow and releasing that arrow. And, you know, once you release the arrow, you don't have any control of it. You, you have control as long as it's in the bow, right? You can point it in the right direction, but you let go. And it's going to go wherever you pointed it to go. That's what it's talking about with those children. And the mighty man, he knows how to 
direct that arrow where it ought to go. And he sends it on its way. And it, it says there, the children are a heritage of the Lord, that the fruit of the womb is his reward. And, and again, verse 4 says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And, you know, realize that, that when God has committed children into your hands as a parent, that is a, uh, a great responsibility. There's a great responsibility there to direct them. There's no guarantee. Again, the, the scripture gives a, a general principle that if you, if you teach those children that when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's a general principle. There's no guarantee that even with, even with a, a perfect parent, that the children are going to turn out to be godly children. Uh, remember, Adam had a perfect parent, God, and he still sinned and still fell. But there is a, there is a great amount that parents can do in that regard, like that mighty man, to direct that arrow where it ought to go, and it comes back again to that foundation, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.